We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code 
Rotowire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Friday, October 16, 2015. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig. Week six is upon us. It got underway on Thursday night. We're going to break down that Falcon Saints game. We'll talk about some injuries. Got a handful of guys who are going to be game time decisions on Sunday. So that's going to really add a few wrinkles to the season long and the daily lineups process. Uh, let's let's kick things off here with this recap, Mario. Falcon Saints last night going up against the Dodgers Mets game five. Understandably, this game got a little bit less of my attention than a Thursday night game typically does, but. Looking at how it unfolded, I mean, Matt Ryan, decent game, 295 yards, two TDs, was sacked five times though by that Saints defense. Drew Brees goes over 300, 30 of 39 for 312 and a TD, only sacked once. Uh, Mark Ingram kept quiet, two TDs though, 46 yards on 20 carries. C.J. Spiller didn't do much. It was Benjamin Watson, the Benjamin Watson, going off for the Saints, 10 catches, 127 yards, and a score on 12 targets, while Willie Sneed and Brendan Cooks had 10 targets combined, both Sneed and Cooks catching the ball four times, 55 yards for Sneed, 41 yards for Cook. Okay, so the Saints side of this was was pretty surprising. I mean, Ben Watson owned in maybe 1% of leagues that have two tight ends, perhaps? Yeah, I, I've... Always expected like these kinds of lines from Ben Watson back in like 2005, but uh, or whenever it was he was drafted. Like he when he was coming out of Georgia, he was running like four fours, super athletic, but never did anything as far as I know. Like he did last night at whatever he is 33, 32 now. So um, maybe maybe he can just maybe it turns out they can just plug him in and he's athletic enough still to do a decent jimmy graham impression or at least enough of a jimmy graham impression where they don't need to keep going back to sneed and cook so much but um i wouldn't expect this kind of uh momentum to carry forward for the saints in general just because i'm not sold on drew Brees at all i'm not sold on watson i'm not sold on cooks i don't think as a as a just uh as a philosophy that they have anything coherent to work with so I don't. I think they're just kind of throwing things at the wall right now, and this is their best result so far. But it's still throwing things at the wall. Saw some pretty interesting commentary uh, after this game and, and during this game. One statement uh, suggested that Drew Brees is back or that he's not dead, and I, I don't really know what I make of that. I mean, like, has it, anyone has anyone alleged that the man is dead? I don't think anyone claimed that. Yeah, I, mean, I bet he's. I bet he's still an average quarterback at best right now. For whatever anyone takes that for i think a few weeks ago we looked at it and said qb2 like if you if you like that label that's probably where he fits in he's not a top seven or top eight quarterback anymore and that pretty much makes you a quarterback too because you can't use him every single week with no regard for his matchup i think i know the right way to put it um that keeps the right necessary perspectives involved i'd rather have andy dalton that's that's probably the best way to put it at this point uh, also with the Falcons offense, Devontae Freeman, in a game that was actually getting out of hand in the fourth quarter, uh, Falcons kind of getting garbage time production from their offense, but Devontae Freeman, 7.7 yards per carry, 13 carries for 100 yards, gets in the end zone on the ground, also chipped in eight catches for 56 yards, and another score. Devontae Freeman, second best player in fantasy right now behind Le- Le'Veon Bell for the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, he might even he might outproduce Bell. I don't know. I mean, it, Bell was held back obviously by his suspension and obviously the Roethlisberger injury. 
I think we'd all take Matt Ryan, even on the road, over Michael Vick anywhere. And uh, Roethlisberger's out this week, so that's one more one more slash against you know Bell. But I, I obviously blew it with the Freeman thing. I uh, traded him in the stake league the week before he blew up because he had two weeks of just garbage numbers. He had garbage numbers as a rookie last year. I was really high on him when he came out of the draft. I think I had him and there might have been somebody else, but him and Trey Mason were kind of like my 1A, 1B. And uh, I, I like abandoned my prediction. I was like, uh, I guess I was just wrong about him after <laughs> two weeks this year. And then uh, he does this uh, nonsense, which is to be like, even though I was really high on him coming out of the draft, I wasn't expecting anything like this. Like I thought he'd be like, um, geez, I don't know, like Ahmad Bradshaw good or something like that. Not not this now he's he's like in priest holmes territory right now he's like peak priest holmes territory right now because he's just so busy as a receiver and runner both getting like all the non julio jones touchdowns in that offense there's no reason to think he'll slow down if anything like even if tevin coleman starts forcing his way into the lineup i think that just means we're never gonna see hankerson or roddy white again and they're just gonna make room for him that way because those those three players freeman coleman and jones are easily their best on that team and that offense anyway yeah tevin coleman who's become kind of an afterthought thanks to the rib injury he had a few weeks ago four carries for 40 yards they should get him going man he's awesome i think i still think he'll be better than Devontae freeman but i think it's just they're both really good i mean freeman's so productive right now it's hard to imagine the falcons changing things unless he goes down especially because he's so polished right now in the passing game like with coleman going in He'll improve the rushing efficiency, I think, but you'll see Ryan's returns decline in that case, and they obviously can't do that. Well, yeah, and Coleman wasn't even targeted yesterday. I mean, Teron Ward was in the field for a target. He's pretty good, too. I, like, that, that, that backfield is really good. If that defense ever comes around, which it might if Quinn is the, the schemer we, we all thought he was or presumed he was anyway, and uh, you know that some of that talent, Vic Beasley, Rashid Hageman, uh, Trufant's already great, obviously – that team could be pretty dangerous even like they're kind of like a a paper tiger five and one right now but i think they might be a more legitimate version of themselves a month from now so do you look at the issues this team had running the ball a year ago and even freeman i think was averaging something like terrible 3.8 yeah. yards per carry and in the first two games this year you had like 10 carries for 18 yards against like philadelphia and then the giants shut him down to a similar line i, I don't he looks awesome now. It, it, it was obviously some kind of aberration, but a very prolonged one that he could go through his whole rookie year. And also, this might be a thing like, as much as as much as you can look at, uh, you know, contextless data on rushing and rushing efficiency and things, and conclude there's no such thing as like a workhorse back getting into a rhythm or a, a, a running back getting better as a game goes along. I maybe it's just the uh, you know lowbrow casual football fan in me but i fully believe that there's a such thing as running back rhythm and that workhorse backs certain certain running backs do have skill sets that provide higher returns the more work you give them um it probably applies to all running backs really but uh in this case maybe freeman just needed to get out of a change of pace role and into a featured back role and that kind of allowed him to really get into the just rhythm the the mode the mindset that he needed to do what he's doing now yeah it's just strange though because i think what i was kind of getting at was that the falcons couldn't run it as a team last year i mean steven right. jackson was bad freeman was bad the only player who could make plays was anton smith and it was more just like getting him out in space and letting him just sprint as fast as he could and he's fast maybe so those works. maybe those six long runs that he had last year or whatever would have gone to Devonte if he had the same opportunity but they just out of some very random chance put anton smith in those situations instead 
and maybe like just about any running back could have done what Smith did in those those particular settings. Obviously, they cut him so they didn't value him particularly highly, even though he did what he did. Uh, but yeah, very weird. Um, I mean, yeah, Freeman Freeman probably got a little bit better too after a rookie year. That that's certainly pretty common, but. Either way, it's there was no way to see this coming. Like anybody who had claimed to have seen this coming was is the kind of person who also thinks you know, uh, d- just some other wacky crap like Kerry Robinson's going to run for eighteen hundred yards next year or something. There's no way to predict it. We looked at it at the beginning of the year, and because Tevin Coleman was such a such a beast at Indiana, and given that the Falcons made a point to draft him in the third round, and they no named less, him starter, named him the starter. He had the week one start. It, everything looked like it was going to be Tevin Coleman leading the way in the backfield and that Freeman would contribute, but it'd be a timeshare favoring Coleman at the absolute worst, and injuries really kind of shook things up, and ultimately Freeman is capitalized. And, you know, Le'Veon Bell wasn't that good as a rookie either, so sometimes you do have that progression from year one to year two. I think the big difference is Le- Le'Veon Bell got to carry the ball a lot more as a rookie than Freeman did too, so maybe grading a player on a sample size of less than 100 carries is just not really fair to that player right yeah it's not and i I thought freeman had i i I was agnostic on freeman going into this year i was really discouraged by his rookie year but yeah after those first two weeks i was like oh man i guess he just sucks and i was wrong and then i flipped him for uh garbage in the stake league and now nate butters letterman is going to get to for the first time ever i think show up for the steak dinner is butter's gonna be a steak eater <laughs> he's good oh yeah he will he's dude he's got Lavian bell Devonte freeman does butters value Devonte freeman almost as much as Lavian bell though uh i don't know he, he doesn't really have to make a distinction he can just start both of them that's also what i'm saying but like, yeah. could could i possibly swoop in and make a trade i would for never Devante trade Devonte freeman at this point <laughs> it's probably exactly what no you would way say no way in in that voice but we'll uh we'll see I'll, I'll try to pry him loose after this pod julio jones six catches 93 yards 10 targets did not score in this one uh that's actually pretty good work i guess by the saints defense if you hold julio jones to that the question here is is he even close to 100 percent right now and how much closer to that level can he get with this extra time off having played on the thursday night I think he's probably pretty fine overall. The, the guy has been playing hurt pretty much all his career. Like even at Alabama, he was hurt all the time. Um, it's not ideal. Obviously, you would rather see him not be on the injury report. You'd rather see him practicing fully every day, every week before the games. It was a short week, and he's been hurt for a couple games now. So the time off, I, I think there's reason to hope he'll be particularly explosive coming out. But even the last three games that the by target numbers weren't that bad and when you put it in the context of his full season it's an entirely acceptable trajectory and the only reason you would worry i think is if you believed that his first few games were something sustainable and he were really on course for a randy moss jerry rice 20 touchdown type season which even though i own julio in both of my leagues i was not getting my hopes up for that so uh i'm i'm pretty happy with him uh i think i would have paid for more for him than like any receiver aside from odell and antonio brown in ppr so I, I think it's pretty reasonable if i owned him i wouldn't be panicking at all i wouldn't i would the last thing on my mind would be trying to move him or anything so looking at the other pass catchers here leonard hankerson had a quiet night also banged up going into this game at least he was on the injury report four catches for 37 yards on six targets i thought jacob tammy was an interesting streaming option because the saints have had a lot of difficulty defending tight ends he caught three balls for 32 yards on five targets roddy white scored so 
if for some reason you were starting Roddy White, you didn't have a terrible night, although he only caught three balls for 23 yards in total and was still targeted just four times. So you had four pass catchers targeted more than Roddy White. Unless you're in the stake league, which is where I, the only place where I have Roddy White right now, Oof. I feel like you have to cut him at this point. Like a 16-team yeah. league where you start three receivers, he's a bench receiver in that league even, because of the offense he plays in. And even then, I think I can feel okay about cutting him. Yeah, even if Julio were to miss time, it's still Hankerson that's ahead of him. Like, and maybe even Tammy. Um, yeah, it, it just hit me, but I think I'd be very optimistic if I were a Falcons fan because pretty much never do head coaches come into a team any particular football setting and just look at a guy like who is known in, in the way that roddy white was and without any like season-long evidence of futility with him just decide like actually we're not gonna pay any respect to your to your legend we're, we're all about results now and like we're gonna we're gonna put in this rookie even though he's a rookie because we think he's better and we're gonna put in this free agent guy who's never done anything because we just look at him in a in a you know uh, narrative free sense and we're just going to put the best players out there so I, I think that team is on a really good trajectory really um, as far as Hankerson I'm not I'm not I'm not optimistic about any pass catcher aside from Julio showing up because again I think they would be really smart to force ways to get fr- uh, not not just Freeman but Coleman involved in the running game um, they'd almost be better off putting Freeman out at receiver it seems like and Coleman in the backfield on a lot of plays than putting out Roddy White or Hankerson so um, yeah, I think Coleman's going to eat in. I, mean, I think Coleman's shares in that offense are going to rise, and it's obviously not going to be at Freeman's expense beyond any you know negligible extent. So um, yeah, I, I I don't think anybody besides Julio is stepping up in that passing game, unfortunately. But if he were to miss time, Hankerson for sure. Yeah, I do think Hankerson coming off this game value is going to dip a little bit so if you want to have him as a potential stash in the event that julio's ailments get worse he's a good handcuff really because i don't think they're going to be like let's make a rotation between roddy white and hankerson they put hankerson ahead of white it's like they think he's better he's big he's fast I mean, he's got all the tools and he played in a crappy offense in washington and he had a hard time staying healthy so it's not we talked about this probably in late july or early august like leonard hankerson going to a better team makes sense as a guy that can be significantly more productive this year. But I think you're right. If the Falcons decide they want to run it more, if they want to get both Freeman and Coleman involved, that does work against the second and third options in that passing game because they have so many plays to run, so someone has to lose out. Let's look at some injury items here. Elshon Jeffrey listed as questionable for Sunday's game in Detroit. He was a limited participant in practice throughout the week, but... I mean, it's going to be a game-time decision. The only good news here, it's an early kickoff. But if Jeffrey doesn't play, Marquise Wilson, does he does he shoot up your level of interest again? Well, the last two weeks have been pretty convincing on that front, and the Lions have been just spectacularly bad in basically every regard. Uh, yeah, I mean, the targets, unless we're expecting a truly monstrous game from Martellus Bennett, I feel like we have to project some sort of healthy wide receiver two type uh wide receiver two in the fantasy sense uh obviously he'd be the wide receiver one for the bears um but yeah six catches two weeks in a row one of them at arrowhead i mean playing at arrowhead is never easy the chiefs have had a have they have good personnel in the secondary six catches 85 yards and a touchdown i don't think wilson will ever be that efficient of a target in the nfl but he's got no competition so it doesn't matter yeah i'm four thousand on the million maker or in DraftKings, by the way so 
he's going to be popular and for good reason, probably. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to save some money. I'm, I'm looking at the Bears and just wondering if that win in Kansas City ends up kind of helping them turn around their season a bit. Instead of being a team that wins three games all year, maybe they win five or six now just because they're playing I don't think a we lot can, more confident. Yeah, I don't think we can even rule. I mean, I would never pick them for it, but in a mathematical, more agnostic sense i don't think we can rule them out for a wild card competition i mean they do have a ton of new misfit personnel on their defense the defense might improve when, once they take to the scheme if they take to the scheme and the coaching as the season goes along if they can somehow make cut, cutler 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 and he's been up to in the last few years i mean he somehow got worse in chicago and in, in denver he was much more promising even even though back then he was also a bit turnover prone um, but if they can just kind of limit cutler's liability uh tendencies and maximize like channel the offense more efficiently just through martellus bennett matt forte make games shorter by not you know running too many plays and you know being very cautious with whatever leads they do get they they we know they're better than the lions i didn't expect that not that i had high hopes for the lions but uh the vikings haven't been that convincing and so the second spot in that division seems like it's entirely reasonable to guess the bears have a chance for it yeah especially if they can get healthy we'll see what happens with uh, elshon jeffrey alan hearns and julius thomas both listed as probable for that game against the texans the real question though is, is tj yeldon i mean blake bortles is also probable so some people may have worried about him Earlier in the week, uh, Yeldon is listed as questionable, and he's going to be a game-time decision. Denard Robinson back at practice this week, which I think, hopefully, finally means that Toby Gerhardt won't get touches if T.J. Yeldon He's been getting touches? Toby Gerhardt's been getting touches? To- Toby Gerhardt had a carry in overtime oh, against I, the Colts two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, see, you said touches, though. Oh, I, yeah, I, was, I was worried that a second time that he, he has five carries on the year, which is five too many. But, yeah, like uh, plural being multiple weeks. Oh, okay. over the course of multiple weeks still i was outraged i thought there was a second carry in that game and i would have flipped the table in here if that had happened it's a big table and there's a lot i didn't of say i'd do it quickly it. i'd struggle for some time and you might be even able to stop me before i finish i might, might be able to snatch the the imac off the table at least <laughs> but the soundboard and the xm equipment are going to get smashed anyway yeah don't fine. don't give toby the ball jacksonville guys who are listening yeah, I know mm-hmm. Gus Bradley is a big fan of our podcast, so please don't hand the ball off to Toby Gerhart, <laughs> Mr. Bradley. He would really... Please don't do it. Let's take a look at a few other injury items here. Deshaun Jackson, also a game-time decision for Sunday's game against the Jets. He went through some individual drills Friday. It's an early kickoff Sunday, so we'll know about 90 minutes before kickoff. Rotowire.com slash pod. You can get a free 10-day trial to the site. We'll have all the news, all the inactives compiled in one convenient location. Washington will still be without Jordan Reed as he is sidelined by his concussion. Lengthy history of concussions. More Derek Carrier at tight end. Carrier scored in week five against the Falcons. Only was targeted three times. Uh, caught two passes for 27 yards and a score. But, I mean, is there anything at all there with Derek Carrier if you're scrambling for a tight end in a two-tight end league? Uh, the pride of Beloit is definitely interesting from like a size athleticism combination. And it's it's that the Redskins traded a fifth round pick for him with basically no NFL resume shows that they were high on him and plan to use him, uh, assuming they weren't, you know, even more irrational than we generally assume they are. But yeah, I, uh, two catches for 27 last week, two catches for 18 the week before. Hasn't been with the team that long, really. Uh, we know that the the that Washington's not going to be able to throw too many times at their receivers. Uh, I th- there's no like injury 
situation with like either Revis or Cromarty at this point, right? So no, those two are going to just even if Deshaun Jackson plays, he's he's the only one that I, I would not consider really Garcon at all. I don't think. And in that case, if targets can't go to Garcon and if Jackson's not in, Carrier could get some at least garbage stats. You know, like Calvin Pryor isn't a good coverage safety. I don't know who the other guy is, um, but you know it's easy to imagine a scenario where it's like in a single drive at $2,500 at least on DraftKings carrier could provide the necessary return just because they get you know a a two-minute drill garbage touchdown and he catches four passes on that drive alone or something like that just because if if Revis and and Cromartie are out there their cousins is not throwing it to the outside but in season long I, I, I don't really know I mean that 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 team is such a week to week mess and eventually if jackson's back i don't think carries a consideration then really because it's like all those targets pretty much got to go to jackson and garcon but obviously i'm not super inclined to go anywhere near that team in general no washington's best chance of winning that game is finding a way to run it effectively with alfred morris and matt jones yeah good luck guys kirk cousins sheldon richardson's back it's gonna be bloody yeah it's it should be a pretty nice week for the jets defense for Uh, sure steve smith dealing with the transverse process fractures in his back uh, does not expect to play in sunday's game against san francisco so even if he's listed as questionable, don't expect him to go. Those are his words, actually, too. So just keep that in mind. It's not as though like John Harbaugh is trying to rule him, rule him out or something like that. He's still not feeling good and understandable, given the severity of the injury. Andrew Luck listed as questionable uh, with that shoulder injury. Kind of doing an increasing amount of work, though, in practice. Getting a lot of throws in. The only downside here, Mario, the Sunday night game for the Colts and the Patriots. So if you're in a season-long a season-long matchup, your options are probably limited to Matt Hasselbeck, um, Sam Bradford in a shallow league if he was cut, and that's pretty much it. Otherwise, you have to make a decision with a player before those inactives come out, which will be, what is that, going to be about 7 o'clock Eastern time on Sunday that we'll know if Luck's actually in or out? I guess in season-long, if you have Hasselbeck, you can play that game. I, I'm not super inclined to do it in a DFS setting, it is tempting though. I mean, if he does play, that's that garbage time too could give him the numbers. But he, he's all. I think I am not one of the people who seems. There seems to be this thing in the last couple of days. I I didn't really notice when it happened, but there seems to be this thing where uh, after previously the last three years or whatever being the greatest young quarterback of all time, I guess we are now at the point where we decided actually he sucks. Um, so I don't know. It, there, there's a certain trendiness of this coming up. I would not believe that for a second. So um i think luck will be awesome whenever he's back to full health uh generally speaking if that is in this game i would i would love to roster him but i don't i don't really feel like i have enough money to be betting on that proposition really yeah i'm not really i mean maybe like one tournament entry or maybe, something yeah because at least then you can change it like you can you can club down to one of manning you or could Bradford. Just, yeah or or uh i mean you could leave the money open for brady i guess if you really wanted to be cautious or something but, yeah have a little extra buffer in there to switch it then out why wouldn't you take him anyway i guess yeah <laughs> well i think the, the the premise of owning luck is that this is the highest over under on the board yeah. so total points are, are going to be high the patriots are favored i think by 10 now so the Colts are going to be playing catch-up. So with that, you get volume. With that, you get the yardage and, and scoring. So the concern, I think, would be that you know other people might be trying this or that Luck might be limited to the point where he can't do the things he normally does. That's the biggest thing. I think you're going to, yeah. get, I think you're going to get low ownership on Andrew Luck, most likely, because I think most people playing, 
are going to look at the price tag and just say, I'll, I'll just go Brady, I'll just go Rodgers, I'll just pay for one of the other elite quarterbacks instead and not have to deal with this game on Sunday night as far as shuffling someone in and out. Yeah, so it's... And I guess also the reason you might consider luck in, in like a tournament setting is especially is uh, if, if there's a Jonas Gray scenario this year with uh, the Patriots and four touchdowns that could go to Brady instead go straight to the running game as they just eat up clock all game long. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not going to go after luck. I, I just don't think I'm the type to do it. Taking a look here at the Bills, uh, LaShawn McCoy's missed the last two games with a hamstring issue. He's listed as probable for Sunday's game against the Bengals, so that's looking pretty good. Amazing update written by uh, Rotowire's Tim Schuler up on the site. I won't even spoil it for you. Go to rotowire.com, check out or don't. the LaShawn McCoy note. Just take our word for it. Eh, <laughs> it depends, it depends on perspective. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to want to smash their computers, and we are not uh, liable for any computers that's that on you. smashed as a result of you not liking the LaShawn McCoy update. That was posted up. But good news, it looks like for the Bills' backfield, uh, Carlos Williams hasn't practiced all week, so having McCoy back goes a long way towards upgrading a backfield that was spearheaded by Booby Dixon and Boom Heron a week ago. And by spearheaded, I mean pretty recklessly crashed into a wall. Um, Tyrod Taylor listed as questionable with a knee injury. Rex Ryan says Taylor wants to play, but we'll see, which I hate we'll see. We'll see is what my parents would tell me when they didn't want to say no, but the answer was no. So I feel like yeah. Tyrod Taylor will not play based on my childhood. A lot of we'll sees when the Christmas present list got delivered. Um, yeah, so that's I'm not counting on Tyrod Taylor doing anything. I'm not approaching that team in general, I don't think. I mean, McCoy's kind of interesting just because, uh, I don't know, if you believe in his resume, if it's, you think it still applies to today, and obviously there's reason to believe he'll have a big workload, but... I I think Cincinnati's a pretty intimidating team at the moment. I I'm even in Buffalo not convinced that the Bills will keep it that close. I mean, Thomas Rawls went off against that defense though a week ago, so it, it can be done. But it can, and uh, I mean the other thing is like I I think Rawls is actually a quite good player. Not that McCoy isn't one, but if you look at general uh, running back career trajectory data. I don't think it's crazy to argue that Rawls is better right now than McCoy. Hmm. Um, he's not the more proven player, obviously, but I, I think you can you can project him to be the more productive player from this point, at least obviously just in efficiency terms, not in you know aggregate output. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I 5,400 McCoy is pretty cheap considering the workload you can project. Um, I just I'm not sure that I would really go for him in cash game scenarios, just because I do think I. I apparently think Andy Dalton's just really good now. I don't know how I feel terrible about it, but I can't really convince myself that it's not true at this point, or at least the supporting cast around him is so good that he can uh, produce at an elite level. And if they do create a 10 or more point lead, Buffalo's just not getting there. Like they're not getting back. And at least that there's a risk in that scenario of them abandoning McCoy and he can catch passes, but I don't know. I just coming back from injury. I don't feel good about the team in general. Bengals are kind of intimidating. I probably won't approach them outside of tournament settings. I would like the Bills a lot more if I knew Taylor were going to play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Taylor's in. I'm a Taylor fan. Then I'm feeling pretty good about the Bills actually hanging around and maybe maybe even winning this game. But with with EJ Manuel, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I am a Tyrod Taylor fan, whereas with Manuel, I am merely an apologist. But even I would never claim that he's anything close to good. Maybe just that he had a raw deal, pretty much. 
Quick look at a few other injury items here. Odell Beckham did not practice Friday due to a hamstring injury, but head coach Tom Coughlin, also a famous red-nosed reindeer, if I'm not mistaken, noted that the wideout is coming along. Uh, Giants play on Monday night. They play the Eagles, so That's Saturday's a- practice will ultimately determine if Beckham's going to be good to go. So for me... It's like 50-50 as of right now, and that doesn't even matter because what he does on Saturday ultimately will dictate whether or not he's available. Coming along is like the we'll see with the sympathetic pat on the back. Yeah. That's that's the only difference, really. Um, I'm not – I don't know. I'm not super optimistic that it, it's the hamstring, which even last year was a problem for him for – uh, you know, like a week to week kind of thing. It kept him out the first month of the year and a bunch of training camp before that. It's it's like an actual problem for him. Like it's it seems like it's going to be a recurring problem. So um, obviously, it being a divisional game means they're going to do everything they can to get him ready. But it's kind of anyone's guess whether they a do get him ready and b whether he's going to pay off that eighty nine hundred that he costs in DraftKings or uh, you know. So it's at that price, I'm not inclined to to chase that production there. But uh, if he does play, it's obviously an amazing matchup for him. Sticking with hamstrings, Marshawn Lynch uh, will play a lot in Sunday's game against the Panthers, according to head coach Pete Carroll. I don't know, as, as our site suggests, I don't really know what a lot necessarily means. Is it 50-50 with Rawls? Is it 80-20 where Rawls is just Is it the next thing after a couple and a few? Is, is four a lot? Yeah, it could could be as little as four, I think, (laughs) technically. But it seems like Marshawn Lynch is getting healthier. Uh, Any reservations about using him against Carolina? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea what his actual, you know, state is. So uh, I guess it's good that he's going to play a lot. Quote, and he's obviously had some time to actually get healthy. But before that, he, he still hasn't run for a touchdown this year. Ran for 4.1 yards per carry against the Rams, 2.7 against the Packers before getting hurt after doing nothing against the Bears. Uh, it's possible that even the injury aside, he's you know finally approaching that cliff that many have anticipated for the last two years after his huge workloads over that span. I'm generally not that high on Lynch right now. Like Put it another way, I would definitely rather go after McCoy this week. I think there's a pretty big price break between the two also, so that yeah, certainly makes sense. Yeah, Justin Forsett was back at practice Friday. He's got an ankle injury, but he will be a game-time decision Sunday. Buck Allen owners, be ready. Be ready to pounce just in case Justin Forsett is unable to go uh, once we get to game time. And I think it is legitimately 50-50 because there's really nothing out there at least at this time as we record here on Friday afternoon, that suggests that Justin Forsett had anything that resembles a full like Friday practice workload. Yeah, and uh, I, I think either way, even if Forsett does happen to play, uh, I love Javorius Allen in season long. I, I, I liked him in Dynasty before this year because I wasn't sold on Forsett at all. I think, and it's not just an issue of like inheriting volume. Like I think Allen is a good prospect. He's a he's a big bag at like 220, just as good of a pass catcher as Justin Forsett, probably just as fast too at 30 pounds heavier or so. So um, I, I really like Allen. He was very productive at USC, uh, beat out some talented running backs to earn a workhorse role at USC, produced against top-level competition in the Pac-12. I think he's a really good player. If he plays in this game, I think there's a chance that he gets some good action in the receiving game also. He's a great receiver. 
uh don't like especially value his potential in ppr because he can he can be like a 50 reception kind of player over a 16 game span playing for mark tressman i I think he's just like a gold mine waiting to happen let's take a look here at the lions injury report you've got theo riddick uh, with a groin injury he did not practice friday so i think there's a good chance that he will possibly uh, miss this game coming up on sunday against the bears if that happens does Amir Abdullah become a lot more interesting? It's a much better matchup than what the Lions have had the last few weeks. I know Abdullah's had some trouble hanging out of the ball, uh, but the Lions came out this week, and there was a report in the Detroit Free Press that suggested that they're not going to scale back his workload just yet. I don't know if I fully buy that. I think those types of reports are always a little bit up in the air. But if Theo Riddick isn't on the field in this one, I feel better about Abdullah on DraftKings especially because you get a full point for every reception, and I think... Abdullah can take on the role that Riddick often has. Like he better fits that than say Joyke Bell or Zach Zenner. Right. The the latter two Zenner and Bell cannot do what Riddick can, but Abdullah can do that. Um, Riddick's actually like a former receiver playing running back, and Abdullah is a pure running back, but he's obviously a really good pass catcher. Um, I'm not. I, I don't know how to properly evaluate the lines at this point. I don't think their offense is as bad as it has kind of looked. Um, especially Matt Stafford, who I usually take every opportunity to bash because he's not good. But I also don't think he's as bad as his numbers say. And uh, going against the Bears, I think, is a perfect setting for that offense to kind of not necessarily you know get on track because I still think this is going to be an awful season for them, but not be completely just incapable of doing a single useful thing like they have the last couple of weeks against two tough defenses this is not a tough defense uh, i like calvin johnson's chances of breaking out he's had a lot of target numbers uh just hasn't really gotten going largely due to stafford's inability to compete against legitimate defenses but i don't think this is a team that can stop calvin johnson i think even matt stafford on an off day can get him better numbers than he's had to this point so i'm really hopeful for a huge game from calvin johnson as far as the backfield i don't know whether to expect anything in particular but abdullah is for sure the only one i would consider it's just that um as explosive as he looked in week one and as as explosive it's generally safe to presume he is since then he hasn't averaged over three yards a carry in a game uh so in the reception number in the reception yardage is not particularly efficient either so between that the fumbling uh just the general instability of the offense i'm not super optimistic but obviously in season long abdullah is at least a guy you have to hold on to especially in ppr leagues because he is the most talented running back out of those three and i think increasingly as the season goes along bells are just going to disappear because he can't do anything so one more note that came in on that game uh, since we started recording martellus bennett actually suffered a quad injury during Thursday's practice. He is listed as questionable for Sunday's game against Detroit. So that would be a pretty big blow to that right, Bears get, offense. Get Marquez Wilson, you guys. <laughs> like if, if if Bennett, if Tellis is hurt in that game and he's at all limited, like that's that's like 15 target potential for Marquez Wilson. So um might be an ugly game in general, though. I, I've, I think this might kind of basically boil down to uh, Calvin versus Marquez, and you know Forte is obviously a constant. But uh, yeah, it's those those two receivers are going to have to carry their respective passing games. Looking here for a few other loose ends. Demarius Thomas uh, didn't practice Thursday with that neck injury, but Gary Kubiak saying after practice Thursday that. He should be ready to go for Sunday's game against the Browns. Their practice report has not come out at the, at the time of this recording. Randall Cobb has been limited by that shoulder injury this week, and I don't think they would hold him out. They have to buy coming up in Week 7, but I do worry that his workload could be reduced. The number of looks he gets from Aaron Rodgers could go down 
uh, just because he only was targeted six times in that game against the Rams last week. Do we do we think that Devontae Adams is back? I know he's been doing limited practices uh, since at least yesterday, Thursday. Um, if he's back, that that definitely increases the Cobb concern. I think I think James Jones is going to keep doing what he's been doing. Uh, I know I've, I've been waiting for it for a few weeks now, but I, I kind of always like the chance of a Richard Rodgers breakout just because I, f- I feel like he's a pretty good player and I just don't know where else the targets are going to go obviously it's at lambeau so rogers i mean last week was the one exception i don't but the the chargers are nothing like the rams defense there's no aaron donald there's no robert quinn so i i like the chance of the green bay passing game going off it, pinpointing where it will be directed to is not as easy obviously especially with cobb banged up normally i would just be like cobb cobb definitely cobb i've just been on the side with adams that because he was dealing with a high ankle sprain he came out in that first play uh, against the chiefs he, as soon as he landed on his ankle that game that monday night game a couple weeks ago he left it was a high ankle sprain it was a high ankle sprain that's a month at one point at least that's what i yeah. read or heard i thought with that he probably would be out through the bye week because the bye is coming up in week seven so it just makes sense if you rest him here against the chargers you don't play him in week seven week eight he can be pretty close to 100 percent, and then you're not dealing with this injury all season long yeah with the packers defense looking as good as it is with the game being at lambeau they can put pretty much anybody at receiver and rogers can get the win there so i don't know why they would put adams out there uh yeah i mean if we if we go if we go forward assuming that he is not in uh even a limited Cobb, i think has a great chance of a pretty big game because i i just i don't think james jones is that good i mean i know he works well with rogers but i don't think the raiders and giants were complete buffoons for cutting him uh, i think it's just like he's a system fit rogers knows what he thinks and vice versa but Cobb is still much more talented i, th- I think i'm gonna i think what this is heading toward is i'm gonna roster a lot of richard rogers again this week just because he's he's always pretty cheap and i I think one of these days he's got to get in on that, you know, Aaron Rodgers bonanza that's always around the corner, especially at Lambeau. One other name to keep an eye on over the course of the weekend, Carlos Hyde. He left Thursday's practice after taking part in some individual work. He's been slowed by a foot injury. No indication yet that he's going to miss the game coming up on Sunday, but something to think about there if you happen to be a Hyde owner or if you're considering using him. Uh, on DraftKings this weekend. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. Week 6, DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event with $1.2 million going to first place. Go to DraftKings.com now. Enter the promo code ROTOWIRE to play for free with your first deposit on DraftKings. That's promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Let's take a look here at each position as we get ready for the Millionaire Maker and the other contests on DraftKings for this week. Tom Brady leading the charge now in terms of most expensive quarterback at 8,100. Are you buying into the idea that the Patriots can just go pretty much at will against that Colts defense and put up points throughout throughout the evening Sunday? Well, Brady doesn't look like he's going to be stopped in any by any defense in particular, so I think he can definitely have a really big game i would i would all but rule out the possibility of a bad one certainly but uh as far as placing his price against some of the alternatives i doubt i'll own him very much but like i I think i'd rather just drop 400 to go to rogers there at lambeau uh but yeah i mean totally good pick i'm not i'm not going to tell anyone not to take him it's just i I, my nature is kind of to look toward a rogers at a little less or look toward uh, Eli at 6,800 against the Eagles and uh, Bradford, etc. 
I mean, if you wanted to be on Team Andrew Luck, I don't think either Mario or I are really on that train at the $7,600 price tag. You could basically go to Eli Manning at 6800 and only leave the 800 bucks on the table, which isn't terrible in the grand scheme of things. But looking at some of the other options, you've got uh, Cam Newton at 6700 Peyton Manning going up against the Browns at 6600 Carson Palmer against the Steelers at 6600 which I, I like I like a little bit. Steelers look like they're playing better defense more recently, but I don't know if that holds up against better offensive lines. I think a lot of their success against San Diego was the result of the Chargers having a pretty bad offensive line. Right, yeah, and the Chargers are really beat up on that offensive line too, but I, I don't know what to make of Pittsburgh's defense. That I think they're expected to be without, without Ryan Shazier again, and he's He's been like a, a game changing type talent when he's there, but he's been hurt so much. Their secondary is still terrible. Like I, I don't think that will change. But um, yeah, Carson Palmer probably will be pretty popular in cash games for good reason. Um, good matchup, and he's been quite productive this year. Fitzgerald is pretty much the same player he's been all his career. It turns out it's just that uh, I guess a John Skelton, a Logan Thomas really can destroy uh, the production of an otherwise you know infallible player like fitzgerald so fitz is back they got good complimentary targets i i think carson palmer has the clear upper hand there uh the only concern i would have had was like pittsburgh being so inept on offense that the cardinals don't need to throw which is kind of a concern because i still think michael vick is terrible and capable of single-handedly ruining that offense he's really bad he's really bad he's been really bad for a few years now in an offense that has good weapons he's he's bad which is is saying a lot uh, Philip Rivers, 6,300. I guess Russell Wilson's an option at 6,500, too, just because the Seahawks' offensive line seems like it's playing better. Daryl Bevel, offensive coordinator there, really hasn't gotten Jimmy Graham all that involved. And it does lead some to question how much of Graham's success was actually the result of playing with Drew Brees and being in the Saints' offense, and how much of it is Graham being a physical mismatch nightmare. I still think... It, he's he was successful more because of the latter than the former the former was a factor like the team totally, was yeah. a factor but the crash to me should not be this severe at the time sean payton was one of the more innovative offensive coaches in the league he had cracked you know a code that no other team had done in that exact fashion where the tight end uh you know a physical mismatch with wide receiver athleticism like graham was used in the way that he was um obviously that role completely maximized his skill set but the exact opposite is the case in seattle that daryl bevel is more than almost any offensive coordinator that has probably ever been in the league uh for some reason prone to just muting the tight end like categorically he mutes the tight end i don't know why I, i don't know if it's because he can't devise a blocking scheme without involving a tight end in it but then just move him to receiver i don't get it it doesn't make any sense that they don't throw him the ball more that they don't get more out of him you can't there's no way you can possibly make the case that it makes any sense for similar returns to be got out of jermaine curse and doug baldwin as jimmy graham it's ineptness on the part of the person calling the shots um with that said there's no reason to think it'll change i mean he's still the offensive coordinator yeah i'd feel like i need to trade jimmy graham but i feel like i'm not going to get nearly what i want just pray he has a big game this week and then sell 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 sell. it's the only way to to go about it i think uh rivers at 6300 could get lots of volume against the packers if that green bay offense can stretch a lead sam bradford at a flat 6000 looks really interesting to me as far as the mid-tier options go back-to-back games with at least 20 
fantasy points on DraftKings. Seems like that Eagles offense as a whole is really starting to click. And you think about how Colin Kaepernick put up a good game against the Giants last week. This seems like a great spot for Bradford. Yeah, um, as what just became clear to me as I've gotten to this price range at quarterback is I like a lot of these guys in this sub six thousand range. Uh, Bradford at six thousand, like I've, obviously I wasn't quite as loud about it in the first two weeks, but I've been believing in this Philadelphia offense all the time. It didn't make sense to me that Mark Sanchez could somehow outproduce Sam Bradford, who Sam Bradford is not a great quarterback, obviously, but he's he's not, he's not Mark Sanchez. He just isn't, and. Um, I believe in the receivers. I believe in the tight ends. The offensive line was the big concern. They seem to have stopped the bleeding a little bit there. Um, even if they haven't, I'm not convinced that the Giants have the front seven to really exploit it that well. So it's in Philadelphia. I think I think Bradford is going to be pretty good from here. I like Jordan Matthews as kind of like a corollary there. Uh, 6,200 is really cheap for him. He's. I think he's going to bounce back this week. I'm going to have him in all my cash lineups. Um yeah aside aside from bradford in that game it's like even like dalton's is still at 5700 the bills defense i think can rush the passer really well but they haven't stopped passing games uh mariota is always a little intriguing just because he's got really good efficient numbers as a passer and he still hasn't quite let loose both as a passer and a runner in the same game uh it could happen any week not that i'm going to be able to predict which one uh, but it's yeah similar range. not only dalton but then uh what's his name oh stafford at 5300 against the bears that's what i'm that's that one and flacco at 5900 against the four if four set is out i think i really like flacco um just because i i don't i don't think tressman is particularly prone to calling run plays to begin with and if his lead back is out i can see him using it as a as a reason to throw it even more especially since the 49ers can't stop the pass so uh yeah those four guys are all kind of i think i think my favorite targets this week Teddy Bridgewater coming off the bye is home against the Chiefs. Chiefs have been really generous to opposing passing games, too, at least in a tournament setting. Do you can think about Bridgewater at 5,300? I I don't think I really like the offense that he's in as far as the the chances of of maximizing his production there. Uh, The reason I I got all uh, happy over here is because I forgot about our guy Jay at 5,200. I like that, too. I mean, uh, we love Jay every week. Every week, but like I'm, I'm actually like I'm, I've got the fist pump going as well this week instead of just the knowing smirk. Um, but yeah, I, I like Cutler, too. I think I think 6,000 and less is where I'm going to put most of my quarterback money outside of maybe like a, a Rodgers GPP scenario or something. Well, if you've made it this far into our pod, I, I gotta ask just, just to know for future research purposes would you enjoy this podcast as a video just tweet at us just tweet at me at Derek van riper uh, just let me know just yeah like the, the football pod the friday football pod would be great as a video just say something along those lines and that'll give me an idea as to whether or not we should pursue you know showing you the the smirks that mario's making the, the fist pumps the uh, lint roller gavel the, the other great things about this friday pod that you can't see because well you, you're only listening you know you're not you're not watching because you can't um so just let me know on twitter because i'm always looking for for feedback like that uh moving on to the running back spot 8500 for the price on Le'Veon bell who i mean look the game was on the line on Monday night, and rather than put the ball in Michael Vick's hands, they said, let's just snap it right to Le'Veon Bell, let him figure it out, and that seemed to be the right call because he you know fell what? in the end zone. Let him play quarterback. Just let him do it. He probably wouldn't have a better <laughs> game than Vick. I don't think he would do worse. 
uh, and we know he can actually scramble better than Vic. Vic does this thing where he's like, I'm a, I'm a quarterback now. It's like, no, dude, get out of the pocket right now. Just try to run every play. But he stands there and gets murdered instead. He loves to stand in the pocket. He loves forever. getting hit from behind without any any suspicion of that ever happening. He, he just loves getting surprised like that. It's like he forgets every time he drops back that there's someone trying to take his head off. It seems like he forgets what he's doing there at all. It seems like he's just like, what is this stupid brown thing that I'm holding? And why are these people yelling? Oh, crap. And then, you know, he remembers and it's too late. I was wondering, watching the game against the Chargers, if Landry Jones actually has a chance of starting a game or two if Ben Roethlisberger continues to miss time. I don't know. He's bad. He's really bad. He was bad at Oklahoma. I mean, at least Vic had one day in the sun there. But uh, Landry Jones has always just been, you know, carrying the torch that was previously carried by Jason White and Josh Hoiple and et cetera. And Sam Bradford, to be fair. Yeah, Sam Bradford, though, he's getting there. You know, he's, he's getting there. He's the exception, as they like to say. Uh, moving past Bell, though, if you don't pay up to 8500 for Bell, I mean, AP's at 7600 against the Chiefs. Matt Forte, 7100 against the Lions. And then Arian Foster, Dude, a flat 7000 against the Jags. If Bennett is out, I'm going heavy on Forte. Like, really heavy. I don't know how heavy, but quite quite heavy and foster at just below that's quite tempting to uh catching as many passes as he did last week jacksonville is not known for being great at any particular thing it'd be cool if jacksonville had the soft j you know if it were jacksonville i think that'd be an an improvement i'd empathize better i think yeah I, i think i would feel a little more sorry for them marshawn lynch 6900 we talked about him a bit earlier reasonably good matchup against carolina just the question as to how much he'll actually carry the ball again Pete carroll said a lot so if you think a lot is good enough 6900 may not be a bad price uh, eddie lacy though at 6300 is intriguing i know he's been dealing with that ankle injury he's averaging 9.1 fantasy points per game on DraftKings this season he's been a massive disappointment so far he was a slow starter last year playing up against some good run defenses in 2014 to begin the season does he figure it out against the Chargers on Sunday? Um, since I'm not picking him, he probably will. I had him everywhere last week, and that really sucked a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I thought he looked really good against the Chiefs, the 49ers. I didn't see any evidence that he was hurt, but I I just I don't know what to make of that week five against against the Rams. I think it's 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 really discouraging that he has one touchdown and 63 attempts, and yet you could also reason he's due if he has one touchdown and 63 carries maybe it means that if you believe in the projections he's got to get three in his next 20 um which is something i would consider completely plausible uh i just don't know if i have the guts to go i'll I'll probably get some exposure to him i mean 6300 is different than like 7300 or something where he probably started the season at 6300 is like where you know our guys like Isaiah Crowell probably started the year, so I, I at sixty three hundred to be fair is a pretty awesome price, especially if you believe that the Chargers could get blown out because of their uh, beat up, perhaps already substandard offensive line going against a Packers pass rush. That is not something you want to deal with right now. Yeah, that pass rush looks legit at the present time. Demarco Murray just six thousand. Believe it or not, he's even cheaper than he was last week coming off a game. <laughs> in which he had 20 carries for 83 He's yards back, though. and a touchdown. <laughs> Seven catches for 37 yards last week. He had 25 points we on d- DraftKings. We dropped the confetti. It's all for sure good from now on. Uh, no, I mean, like, there's always the worry of the Eagles just pulling another stupid implosion. 
but I I don't think it'll happen. I th- I think that's what we saw last week is mostly here to stay. In fact, I think his rushing efficiency will improve eventually. In chip, we trust Dion Lewis's price rising slightly. He's at fifty eight hundred though. Is that still too cheap? No, that's an awesome. If he but this injury here, what is this? Limited by an abdomen injury. I don't think that's real. Okay, Belichick being super cool, considerate dude. Um, I, mean, I think so. I guess that's that is the cons- the, the Sunday night game injuries do kind of scare me off a little bit because you have so limited options. You can you pivot can to. to Blount. You can get you can go in with the fifty eight hundred on Lewis and uh, have have maybe like a have have a I don't know what some other player in that game on your team and swap it out for an upgrade downgrade from Lewis to Blount if Lewis is out something like that that would actually be like quite a scenario to benefit from because if Lewis is out Blount should eat a lot like so that that's not the worst uh, handcuff to to go into a weekend with and if Lewis does play I think he should have a huge game 5800 is really really cheap for the role that he's playing in like he's he's not he's not getting that many carries obviously less than 10 but he's their third pass catcher basically like he's he's third after Edelman and Gronk and that third wheel usually gets some work in a Tom Brady offense especially in kind of like what's become kind of at least a little bit of kind of a rivalry game out there yeah i think that's a, a fair way to look at it i mean 5800 is closer to a fair price but it's it still is low fair en- it's yeah. low enough to where i would still be willing to pay it depending on the construction of the rest of my lineup jeremy hill 5700 way too high for me he's got to come down a thousand bucks at least before i start thinking about him again because the volume has really been uh, lost to geo bernard Lashawn mccoy 5400 we talked about that how about Chris Ivory, fifty one hundred, going up against Washington? I mean, I know Washington's run defense isn't terrible, but Chris Ivory to me, if this game is one that the Jets are holding a lead in throughout, I think he's going to get at least twenty carries. Yeah, the volume should be there, and he should see some short fields more importantly than uh, you know the the matchup. The matchup is a concern, but only if you think that they're going to have to go eighty yards every time, which I don't think they will. I think they're going to have to go forty and fifty a couple times. Um, not because of kick and punt returns, but because Kirk Cousins is bad, and I think they're going to have a lot of three and outs. Um, yeah, I, I like Ivory as a as kind of a cash consideration. I'm not going to expect much upside, but it is totally plausible that he ends up with like 22 carries for 81 yards and three touchdowns or something. Because uh, on the on you know the other side of the coin, I'm not exactly expecting Ryan Fitzpatrick to torch them through the air. So, but I do expect them to win safely. Yeah, I think they they do handle Washington coming off the bye here. Andre Ellington, 5,000, not really interested there. Chris Johnson's been kind of elevated to number one spot in the depth chart, so that's a mess right now. And unless someone goes down with an injury, I think you probably want to stay away from that situation in general. Frank Gore at 4,900, probably a little too risky in case the Patriots open up a huge lead and just have to throw it a lot. Yeldon's banged up. I mean, Danny Woodhead still at 4,700. Is he going to find his way into a few of your lineups? I don't know. I, I like the matchup quite a bit in PPR because Rivers is going to be not running for his life, but checking down for his life. And Woodhead is obviously the man as far as that goes. The concern is they were using Melvin Gordon a lot as a pass catcher last week, like a lot, a lot. He caught like seven passes or something, didn't he? He looks uh, he looks pretty good when he gets the ball oh, in his yeah. hands, but he's constantly getting hit at and in behind the line of scrimmage when he runs. And it's yeah, not because I'm, of him, it's because of the line. Yeah, I am not uh, blaming Gordon for his rushing production to this point. But yeah, he caught seven passes against Pittsburgh last week. So, And he, he averaged 7.4 yards per catch, too. It wasn't like he was just getting crap flat 
tosses that he just takes for three or four yards like he's actually showing some skill as a receiver so that's that's not so much a reason that I would ever be optimistic about Gordon this week as much as I would move away from Woodhead as a result because Woodhead's Woodhead's stranglehold on his workload is based on his passing down superiority to Gordon which if the Chargers are not showing signs of maintaining that belief I don't know where Woodhead reliably projects into the game at all. Um, aside from, you know, when Gordon needs a breather, or when Gordon fumbles and they need to make clear on the sideline, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And then we're going to put in this guy so you really learn it. Um, but other than that, uh, I'd rather go lower than that. And there's there's a, a handful of guys I like better than Woodhead who also are cheaper. And if, if I reason that Andy Dalton does well for himself again this week, I have to love Gio Bernard at 4,600. Why is Gio Bernard cheaper than Jeremy Hill? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, take advantage of that. And, and I mean, that here, here's my logic, and I think we talked about it maybe in week one or week two. When you're going up against a team that has a good pass rush, oftentimes running backs are one of the primary options. Checking it down is a necessity and i think that is what the bills can do they can force you to dump the ball off and bernard's going to be the guy that benefits from that 4600 is an absolute bargain there price the same as carlos hyde who if he's if he's healthy isn't really a bad play at that price and then there's ronnie hillman at 4600 and i only bring up hillman and cj anderson at 4500 because they're going up against the browns and the browns can't stop the run or the pass yeah they can't stop anything and hayden's out so the ball could move would you take a chance on either of the Denver running backs in a tournament? And if so, which one do you like better? Jeez, I don't know. I mean, if they're both healthy, I feel like you have to prefer CJ Anderson, but I still I can't tell if he just isn't good or if he's still hobbled. The numbers are garbage. There's nothing to work with there, but Hillman kind of fell on his face last week too. I I don't know. I'm not super confident about the Broncos in any particular respect. I mean, Peyton Manning is so toast. I don't think Kubiak can execute what he's envisioned all throughout his career as an as the manager of an offense which is just quite it's an under center offense where you by being under center you can execute these various misdirections that you just can't really from the shotgun which is the only way manning can play uh at even an average level but not even reliably at that level either i i don't know that i think this offense is just so rotten i don't really have the guts to approach it at all i think that's a a reasonable position to take we mentioned the garrett blunt 4,400 is the price there. Lamar Miller, coaching change in Miami, coming off the bye, maybe some new usage. $4,300 going up against the Titans. How about Lamar Miller this week? I'll probably get some GPP exposure. I mean, I, I think I think Joe Philbin was a uniquely incompetent coach, and I think it showed in a variety of ways. And if if my reasoning is not wrong... I think what happens is this new coach, Dan Campbell, is that his name? Dan Campbell. Uh, he's not the tight end Dan Campbell, is he? I think he is. Really? Oh, I love that guy. Um, okay, anyway, uh, I think what we'll see is three things in this offense from this four. I think at receiver, you'll see uh, Rashard Matthews and Greg Jennings getting phased out for Kenny Stills and obviously Devontae Parker. And we'll also see Lamar Miller getting more work. And I think we'll also see Jordan Cameron start doing better. Jordan Dan Campbell was a tight end, so... Uh, Maybe maybe he'll he'll Jordan be, Cameron he'll, he'll have a deep bro bond with uh, Jordan Cameron as a result. Uh, I like that narrative. Okay, so uh, forty three hundred for Lamar Miller is definitely quite palatable. Um, of course, the man everyone wants to know about this week down at four thousand. Charkandrick clicking clicking Charkandrick West. Yeah, four thousand against Minnesota. I feel. I mean, I'm probably gonna get a couple GPP bullets with him in there, but. Uh, 
I don't think I'll be approaching him as much as the general herd might. Um, I'm not convinced Niall Davis doesn't screw things up there. Yeah, I mean, to think that either one of West or Davis can do everything that Jamal Charles does workload-wise for the Chiefs is probably expecting way too much. And because there's going to be so much interest in Sharkhandrick West, who does need a nickname at this point, I've heard uh, Sharknado as one that was thrown out there. And I don't know if that's going to stick... Uh, C West actually is how he's listed on DraftKings. That was actually suggested as a nickname too. I, I look at this one as as one where there's really not as much upside as there was when Todd Gurley was really underpriced. Right. Yeah. And it's not a must own cheap play. It's intriguing because of the price, but not necessarily something you have to do to be competitive this week. So I think the fade makes a lot more sense. I like Abdullah at four thousand more than Charkandrick West because I think Abdullah is going to have a lot of people who just stay away based on the lack of recent production. Jonathan Stewart's only 3,900. I know he's been a disappointment so far. He was so good at the end of last year in this matchup against Seattle. It's not the matchup you want, but that is a crazy low price for a guy that should easily should easily get you 15-plus carries. I know, man. And it's it's like he's, he's more due than anybody for a touchdown, zero on 59 carries. But that's the thing. Like, even if they get to the red zone and, you know, they're, they're moving the ball on the ground – it's just harder for a defense to defend Cam Newton than it is to defend any particular running back. Like every defense is built in the same way in that they're like, okay, make key on the run. Where's the, is the are they running the ball here? Like, is, is are they coming out in the run block? If they're not like, what's, what's the pass looking like when the run that you're, you're trained to look for isn't there. And then the six, five, two fifty guy who's as fast as the running back goes to the outside using a concept that you're just not, usually going to you know you're not regularly practicing it in the sense that you practice halfback dives and sweeps and such especially because it'll be often a fake handoff to stewart before newton does run it's just so hard to project red zone touchdowns for stewart and on the other hand i'm not going to predict a long touchdown run for him against the seahawks so uh for that reason it's definitely like gpp only but you're right the price 3900 is so cheap that it's like it's it's just it's just hard to to really uh, boldly state that he won't get you that value. Just if only because he's there's a good chance. It seems like if you believe in averages, if you believe that he can progress to the mean with a touchdown, just because it seems so improbable that it go like 80 carries without a touchdown. I mean, he could get you 15 points pretty easily if he catches four or five passes, gets you 50 and they're not yards gonna, and a touchdown. Like that's they're not, not going to throw to the receivers. So yeah, they, they can't. They don't. They don't have any. So right. I don't know why they don't throw to Devin Funchess more. That's maybe there's something going on there that that we just don't really know about. He doesn't run routes gracefully yet. Who knows? Maybe, maybe being big like and that. fast and being able to catch footballs is not worth that much. It's all about the aesthetics. Yeah, you got to run pretty routes. Let's move on to the receivers. I will not have Beckham at eighty nine hundred. Just too much risk there. I, I I know that the matchup is great against the Eagles, but if I'm going to pay top dollar for a player. I just don't want to deal with that potential limited snap count or anything like that that you might deal with because there were some points in the fourth quarter of that game against San Francisco where Beckham wasn't on the field. Yeah, I mean, I I love Odell, but I love the matchup too, but I'm not going to deal with that hamstring at that price. Antonio Brown is 8300 He's about $1,000 overpriced given that Michael Vick is throwing him passes, so I won't be having any shares of him. Uh, Demarius Thomas, not worried about the neck injury, 7,900. Maybe he is the best receiver on the board this week. Do you want him? Do you want Hopkins? Do you want Edelman, A.J. Green? Do you want some combination of three of those guys? What are you doing with these top-tier receivers? 
I don't know. I don't know how to properly conceptualize Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders just because I, Peyton Manning looks so bad. And yet, even so, five catches, nine, nine, eight, seven catches for Demarius this year. Emmanuel's got similar uh, reception numbers. Um, I just I, I don't have the guts, I think, to go with Demarius Thomas at 7,900 when DeAndre Hopkins is there at 7,700. And like DeAndre Hopkins has been producing with Hoyer slash Mallet against better defenses than Demarius will face, obviously. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm more sold on Hopkins. I'm probably more sold on Edelman, too. Maybe even A.J. Green. I don't know. I I just can't really approach the Denver offense. And it's it's probably a weakness on my part that I can't get over the squeamishness there. That might be okay. I'm, I'm looking at the other options. Green against Buffalo at 7,600, who you mentioned. Keenan Allen also 7,600 if there's a big volume game for Phillip Rivers. Allen should be productive. But with Antonio Gates back, we saw Gates have a pretty big game in his first, first uh, one of the season against the Steelers. I wonder if Keenan Allen's value does take a slight hit. Oh, yeah, it does. Um... I don't do you do you know if the Packers have seen a tight end this uh, they face Kelsey and he did pretty good against them if I remember they face right. Graham uh yeah uh that do, that doesn't really count does it I mean Daryl <laughs> Bevel defended Jimmy Graham for Daryl Bevel yeah did, did a good job shutting him down there like, I feel I feel bad Kelsey too. had six for 80 against them so Daryl Daryl Bevel's a Wisconsin guy he played quarterback at Wisconsin yeah he was like the best Wisconsin quarterback ever as of 91 or whatever I mean he was until like Scott Tolzien and John Stocko Brooks Bollinger he might have even been better than Bevel but anyway yeah uh yeah, it it obviously is Wisconsin on Wisconsin crime on this podcast or any particular place where someone's dumb enough to give me a microphone and talk about Daryl Bavell. But uh, anyway, like I was wondering, like, do you think Antonio Gates is a variable that this Green Bay pass rush cannot coexist with to the like if if the pass rush might take a step back just because there hasn't been a big middle of the field guy as good as gates that they've gone against yet but obviously the packers beat the chiefs pretty easily and kelsey had the same presence he always does um either way as far as your original point yeah it's bad for allen because he was a target hog before antonio gates came back uh when gates did come back they didn't entirely phase out ladarius green from the offense so that could have very conceivably come at the expense of uh yeah, Keenan Allen, and obviously whenever whenever Stevie Johnson gets back, that could be another hit yet. Do you feel like Kelvin Johnson's going to have one of those games this week that I'm going finally in. gets everyone to realize, like, oh yeah, this guy's awesome still? I'm going in on him this week. I just refuse to believe this crap. I, I don't think... I Kelvin Johnson, like as much as Jerry Rice will probably be the best football player of all time for all time, Kelvin Johnson is the most physical marvel receiver i think we'll ever see like a 65 240 ish guy who can just be as flexible as he is obviously is just the raw speed the raw coordination the the catching ability the hands i refuse to believe that hitting 30 is going to just like negate all that he could have he could be at 80 percent of what he was earlier in his career and still be a top five receiver which i think is probably the case right now he might only be 80 percent of what he was three years ago but that still should be top five um i don't think the bears defense is equipped to deal with him i think stafford's been horrible lately but against defense is much better than the bears i'm going in quite a bit on calvin johnson and there's there's probably some kind of blind spot in play on my part but i just can't see why this should continue to the at least extent that it has and he's been getting a ton of targets i I think it i think it shapes up nicely for him 
Got a few other uh, receivers near this price range I want to get to. We'll try to get through some value plays quickly and move on to tight ends and defenses. I know we're running a little bit long here. Oops, I'm sorry. Uh, but Larry Fitzgerald, 7,000. Brandon Marshall, 7,100. Both interesting. Jeremy Macklin's only 6,500. The question, I think, with the Chiefs offense is just how much does the offense suffer as a whole dropping from Charles to the combination of the Sharknado, C-West, and, and Niall Davis. I'm inclined to think that Charles's injury is more likely to help Macklin than hurt, especially in PPR settings. Uh, his efficiency might drop, but I think his touches will go up. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Just They have to do something with those snaps, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Jarvis Landry, 6,200, along with Jordan Matthews. I, 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 don't, I don't like Landry because I think the Dolphins just have so many different things they can do. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Dan Campbell, former tight end. Perhaps he will be. Uh, steering some targets in the way of Jordan Cameron, but I love Jordan Matthews at that 6,200 price tag. Oh, Allen man. Robinson is still cheap. 5,900 for Allen Robinson. Yeah, if Yeldon's out, I especially like that. Um, not that I think Denard Robinson is totally incompetent or something. I just think they're not going to game plan with Denard as much as they did Yeldon. So if Yeldon's out, I do like Robinson to get another good effort in a row here. Some other cheaper receivers I've looked at here. We got Dante Moncrief at five thousand. I think he could be a lot more productive if Luck is able to play. But again, you got to be ready to make some adjustments on Sunday if uh, that's not the case. Eric Decker at forty nine hundred seems like a nice value. I mean, he's not going to be someone that necessarily wins the week for you, but I think at the same time he can give you a nice profit at forty nine hundred. I think he's a really nice cash game target at that price because. Regardless of his location, uh, or whether it was Peyton Manning specifically throwing to him in Denver, like he's very he's very reliably been probably one of the top ten touchdown scorers at receiver the past few years, and it's been the same case with the Jets so far. Andre Johnson had the big game in Week Five, getting the two TDs. He's only forty three hundred, along with Anquan Bolden and Kamar Aiken. If Devonte Adams goes, he is the same price, but. You know, with Smith out again, I think Kamar Aiken makes some sense against that San Francisco defense. He really does. I It, it feels weird, but I think I'm going to pick him in a few spots there. Marquise Wilson, we talked about him earlier, a flat 4000 pretty good price there. So you can get a good mix of expensive, mid-tier, cheap receivers. A lot of different ways you can attack it, depending on how much you want to spend at quarterback and running back this if week. If Devontae is out, do we like tie at 3500 quite a lot? At least in tournaments, yeah. Okay. Probably, probably not in cash. Yeah, man, I just, I, I'm a big tie fan, so I'm 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 like all scouty uh, interpretation of him rather than responsible data interpretation. But I do like him if if, if Adams is out because I just think he's better than James Jones. But I mean, we'll see. The TD that Montgomery scored Sunday, was uncovered, blown right? coverage. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't something where he made an extraordinary play. But, but he will do that eventually. He, I have faith. He's due. I mean, I, I think about like Devonte Adams though last year and how long it really took Adams and Rodgers to get on the same page and I think they're still kind of getting used to each other in in some ways as far as those two being completely in sync but I I see where the optimism comes from because he's big and fast and Mm -hmm. he's got a great quarterback and that's always a good combination at tight end Gronk 7600 throw down the money and and walk out or do you go cheaper with Olsen at 55 Graham at 54 Kelsey at 5 Eifert at 4900 well, given that I'm kind of looking at those cheap quarterbacks this week, I think I'll be able to pay up for Gronk comfortably. But if I'm not going Gronk, I think I'll drop to the likes of, yeah, like Kelsey Eifert. Eifert, I like a lot every week. I mean, he's, he's just so good. Uh, I think you can be high on Antonio Gates at 4,600. I probably won't chase Gary Barnage's points this week, the, the Wade factor there. Um, Denver coming in to sack Josh McCown 50 times. Uh, I fear son of bum. 
I, I fear him too, at least when he's like in charge of a defense. Otherwise, he seems quite jovial. But uh, yeah, otherwise, like I kind of I, lo- I, lo- I love Richard Rodgers at 3100. I'm going to go with a lot of him, even though I can probably afford Gronk with the general lineup construction I'm looking at. If you spend recklessly at other positions, Zach Ertz at 2900 against the Giants, I think, is a, a nice cheap play. And Jordan Cameron, who we mentioned before, the- at 3000 against the Titans isn't a bad option either if you're looking tournament and yeah. want to spend a little bit more at those other positions yeah i think those two are both pretty reasonable contrarian plays if you're going specifically for the high finish in mind all right so looking at the defenses the seahawks at 3800 against the panthers the most expensive broncos against the browns at 3700 probably going to draw some interest that game is on the road at cleveland not home in denver something to think about there uh, but what other defenses stand out there? I mean, the Jets at 3,100 almost seem like too obvious of a play to me. I'm going to take the Jets like every single time, I think. I don't I don't know. I just can't. M- maybe Cincinnati if EJ Manuel is for sure in. But I just I feel like the Jets are automatic. I cannot see a way, aside from like Ryan Fitzpatrick pick six, that the Redskins can reliably project for a single touchdown in that game. Well, Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard, so I don't think he can throw interceptions. He's too smart to do it. It's yeah. never happened. Too smart to make a bad decision with the ball. Thank you for listening to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out Roadwire free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod. The Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast will return on Monday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.